It's a soft landing, inflation is coming down, investors are doing well, it's all rosy in America, if you've got money, of course. But is there too much of a false promise? I mean, the equity markets have been racing ahead, risk is being taken off the table bit by bit. But what if equities are overvalued? What if inflation comes back? And what if Donald Trump returns to the White House? He could be there this time next year. What happens then? The Morning Call from NAB with Phil Dobby. Weekend edition. And remember, anything you hear today on the morning call for the weekend edition doesn't reflect the views of NAB. That is our big disclaimer. We like to invite opinion from a wide variety of sources, including the FT this week. So the question, are investors looking at the US with rose-tinted glasses? Well, let's ask Katie Martin, markets columnist at the FT, a member of their editorial board as well, and one of the hosts of the Unhedged podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which comes out twice a week. I mean, twice a week. It's a good try, I suppose. Could try a bit harder, but uh, good to have you back. <laughs> And six times a week, I think, is the going average these days, Katie. Oh, but, okay. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell the hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> but good to have you back on. So uh, what about the US then? Uh, I mean, equity is doing exceedingly well, despite the delays to rate cuts, despite the global uncertainty, all the, you know, the uh, the, the fears of war. Um, but it seems like AI has been the economic savior. The Nasdaq is up by a third over the last 12 months. The S&P is up by a quarter. Whereas the DAX is only up by 11%. The FTSE 100 has actually been down over the last year. The ASX is only up 4%. So is this a bit of American exceptionalism uh, or is it just all a bit overhyped? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all of the above. All of the above. Yeah, look, there's an awful lot going on with uh, with US stocks at the moment, and you're getting a lot of conflicting signals all at the same time. And I think investors are finding that quite a difficult environment to navigate. To break it down a little bit, the obviously monetary policy is a big issue here. And the market is sailing along thinking, okay, maybe we're not going to get the six rate cuts from the Fed that we were pricing in at the start of the year, but we're still pretty sure we're going to get three. Um, I wonder how confident people should really be in that assumption even at this point because you know I was writing about this just this week you know in, investors in, in the UK and the US only need to look over to Australia and New Zealand to see that there is still the potential that rates might need to keep rising and that maybe we're not done yet so you know there's a lot of people who are kind of predicating their view on US equities on the view that the Fed will cut three times but what if they only go once what if they don't do it at all? What if inflation really does prove stickier than people are, are expecting? That would be a pretty significant danger, I would say, to US stock market valuations at this point. And it was pretty brave to be kind of super declarative around which way you think this is going to pan out. So I think people need to be a bit careful there. The other bit that's really bugging people is twofold, and it's two sides, sides of the same coin, really, which is Magnificent Seven dominance and overvaluation. You know, as, as you were explaining at the at the top there, you know, there is this massive gap between U.S. markets and the rest of the world, and that is just opening wider and wider and wider. And there's a school of thought that okay, this is going to snapshot. The rest of the world is going to catch up. It's going to use all this wonderful AI technology that's coming out of the states and use it to become for companies to become much more productive elsewhere and to catch up with their stock prices. Okay, fine. Fair enough. But it's a little bit difficult to see that actually happening right at the moment. So I think we have to deal with the world as we find it, not as we want it to be. So we are in a world where there are some valuations that are kind of making your hair curl and your nose bleed, but they are what they are. You've just got to deal with them. 
And actually, the evidence for pulling out of stocks just because stocks are at or around record highs, it, the, the evidence suggests that's a really bad idea. So I think there's a lot of people who are just going to have to stick with it. But a lot of money is moving into America that's not going elsewhere. So 70% of the global market cap in equities now is in America. In 2008, I mean, it's a while ago, uh, it was way less than 50%. So just wondering whether there'll be a bit more of a balancing act. You know, as money's going to America, not just because of AI, but because the economy is doing well, other economies are doing less well. As they start to recover, does all that money that's gone to America start to shift back again? I can see the argument for it, but it wouldn't be my expectation. You know, that I think for as long as we do have this sort of crazy concentration among the Magnificent Seven stocks, it's just difficult to see. I think they've all got some very common risks around regulation, around China. Um, you know, if this thing unravels, it could unravel very quickly and be extremely damaging. But I just don't really see the catalyst for it at the moment. And the other thing is that if you think to yourself, right, I don't want to go into the US because that market is so concentrated. I don't know. Have you looked at Europe recently? You know, pretty much all of what has happened, all of the gains that we've seen in, in Europe so far this year. Um, so we're up about five and a bit percent on the Eurostox 50. Pretty much all of that is down to ASML and SAP, you know, th- those two big tech stocks. So you can't get away. <laughs> can't get away from tech. Yeah, go. yeah. So is it. You can't get away from tech. Is it all. Uh, yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so America's got more of it. Therefore, America does better. But is it. Is it all monetary? You, you talked about you know the central banks. Is it all monetary policy, or is there a bit of a fiscal story in the US as well? And that we had the Inflation Reduction Act. You know that just a mere half a trillion dollars of uh, spending initiatives and tax credits. Uh, you know when a lot of the rest of the West is going the other way, cutting back on government spending. You know, so it's the old Keynes versus Friedman argument. You know, a bit of Keynesian style pump priming. Is 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 that helping America? And uh, you know, and and. The question is, is that going to go away if there's a change at the White House? Yeah. I mean, when I talk to people about what they got wrong in markets last year, and this is quite a long conversation, but, you know, they they tend to focus on, look, they didn't expect households to be so resilient, particularly in the States. They just kind of missed this whole thing where they have 30-year mortgages in the States that really protects households from the, the effects of rising interest rates. They didn't expect uh, corporate America to be so resilient. They were expecting loads of bankruptcies, and actually, what they found was that big companies, you know, padded out their balance sheets when uh, when money was really cheap, and they were just fine actually. Um, but the other big thing that people really underestimated was the impact of that government spending, in particular the Inflation Reduction Act. So, you know, certainly in in Europe, people were completely blindsided by this thing. They were like, wait, you know. We've been trying to fix the green energy transition for the best part of 10 years. And the US has just come along and thrown $370 billion at it. You know, that that's how you do it. Um, mm, by having one government. Yeah, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, having one government that can, that can act decisively. I mean, yeah, America's got its issues, but, you know, the, they've chucked money at this. And, and it's interesting that even some of the kind of red states, right, the kind of Republican states that, you know, often run by people who would normally argue that government spending on green initiatives is some sort of, you know, dastardly satanic plot by the Marxists or something. You know, they're like, oh, look at all this money over here. Would you like to come and set up a solar farm or, or a wind farm or whatever? So it's, it's been hugely stimulative for state finances and for household finances and corporate finances. And, you know, you, you fight against this thing at, at your peril. And as you suggest, like it's really difficult for, for Europe and for the UK and for lots of other countries to really 
keep up with that. So does that reach a ceiling, though? And does it change when Donald Trump, if, if I'll put the word if, <laughs> let's entertain the idea that he doesn't make it to the White House, uh, does that change? I mean, because he has not been a, a traditional uh, conservative, has he, in that he's quite like spending. So maybe he'll quite like doing more of it, particularly if it's not directed at uh, government workers, because, of course, they're all part of the deep state. Boo. Sure. But, if it, but, if it's, but if it's used to help support business, then he'd probably quite like for this sort of approach to carry on, wouldn't he? It might need a relabeling to pass the Trump test if he did get in, because he's not going to put his political weight behind green spending. Realistically, mm. would be my expectation. Look, so th- no, all that money will be spent be spent obviously on building new oil drills and stuff <laughs> sure. like that. But I mean, it's it's I mean, it's not good for the planet, but it's good. You know, it's government spending stuff. Yeah, it's drill, baby, drill. Look, so. You know, if Trump does come back, right, the, you know, the, the sort of sell side notes are starting to land in my inbox that are trying to kind of break this down in the sense of then what, right? So, yeah, spending on green initiatives is is very likely to fall. Spending on, for example, electric vehicle infrastructure in the States is likely to fall. Um, so, stocks that have a particularly strong green tinge about them in the States are, you know, likely to struggle a bit more than they are doing now if he did come back. But broadly speaking, people that I speak to on the buy side and the sell side seem to think that if he were to come back, stocks would be fine, actually. You know, he would cut a lot of corporate taxes, most likely. Um, you know, yes, if you're a big importer that and you could be stung by tariffs, then you've probably got a problem. If you're in the green industry, you could probably have a problem. If, you, if you've got a lot of exposure to China as a US corporate, then yeah, you're likely to have problems. But broadly speaking, my expectation would be that stocks would be fine. The the two things that people, well, the three things I guess that people are really worried about is first of all, you know, obviously the geopolitics and, you know, does NATO survive? Kind of a big deal. But in terms of markets, it's the dollar and it's treasuries. It's, you know, and in both cases, well, the treasuries are particularly sensitive to what he does on the fiscal side. As as, as you say, he loves to spend money on, on pet projects. And so you could find, you know, we saw this in the middle of last year, the market really balked at the idea that the, gov- the US government was just going to keep on spending and financing itself through the bond market. So you saw quite a lot of weakness in, in bond prices around that. And it's quite easy to imagine a rerun of that um, at the end of this year, if this were to happen again. But also where he's somewhat more dangerous, some would argue, is around his willingness to use debt ceiling standoffs to extract, you know, whatever it is that he wants at the time. You know, these episodes are always kind of scary in bond markets, even if there's a low probability that the US could choose to default at any point. It's not a risk that should be taken lightly. And, And I don't think any of us has really got the energy to keep going through that every few months if he were in power. But the other bit, yeah, is, is the dollar. You know, what does he do with the Fed? Who does he appoint to run the Fed? Um, you know, it, it, it could be anybody, let's face it. And and if you, you know, we keep... Whoever it is, he'll like them until they're in the job, then he'll hate them. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he'll call them an idiot and fire them. And look, you know, that sort of thing, you know, I, I do think the whole kind of debate that ebbs and flows around the dollar as a reserve currency and can it continue as this kind of global currency, a lot of it is overblown. But it is perfectly reasonable for a lot of the really big conservative reserve managers to get the heebie-jeebies around this and to think, well, you know, maybe I should put a little bit more of my government reserves in, in euros, even if they're feeling brave, sterling or in the Aussie dollar or whatever it is, and just spread that risk around a little bit. Um, that, that whole space is where he could be quite quite dangerous but wouldn't you expect that to have started already i mean we are yeah some of it has Mm. yeah yeah but it was quite funny i was having breakfast this morning uh with um with an asset manager and i was saying to her you know okay so what if trump comes along are you what are you doing with this Are are you hedging for it are you ready for it and she said no we're doing absolutely nothing i mean what can we do like you you can't hedge this risk because it's so multifaceted because we don't even know if he's necessarily know that he's going to be the candidate yet. We don't know how the race is going to pan out. He's burning money on his legal fees and not on his campaigning. Um, so, But he's doing all right know, in the polls, despite all of that, isn't he? I mean, he's still, he's still I mean, yeah. it's marginally in the lead in the latest polls I've seen, but he is still in the lead. So, you know, a man who could be in prison is still getting, you know, the preferred choice for, for president of America. Yeah, I mean, you know, hashtag America. But, you know, again, you've got to deal with the world as, as you find it. But, um it, it's not a risk that's easily hedgeable at this point because what is it? What, you know what what is what is your worry here? Um, it's quite difficult to to break it down. I think people would like to see more detail around his policy agenda and maybe hear some somewhat soothing noises around composition of the Fed before they start um, really making any decisions here. But you know it's it's always difficult, isn't it, with, with Trump to figure out how much of what he's saying is a genuine policy agenda and how much of it is is bluster um yeah but i mean but the but i mean the fed is almost like the small stuff isn't it uh it's you know the bigger stuff is the geopolitics so yeah say he says well i mean he said i can solve the ukraine war in a day yeah well you think if if that's the case then he's going to be just saying well let's call a ceasefire russia you hold the territory i'm not quite sure how europe's going to take to that yeah. So it's the question about you know what U.S. relations are, whether there's a bit of uh, isolationism. Yep. I mean, obviously not a gr- not a great deal because we all need America, uh, so we'll isolate to an extent. But I mean, you know, the relationship with Europe, the relationship with China, obviously, the relationship with the Arab states, if you know the situation with Israel, if they uh, you know besides holus bolus with with Israel, um, you know, then all of that. And he could be a, a bit of a loose cannon on all of that. Yeah. And so for risk assets, I mean, that's, you know, who cares? He's in the Fed. It's what he does on the global scale. And he's not actually got a lot of history in, you know, uh, in his first term of office. He didn't do a lot of foreign policy. He did a lot mm. of issues around foreign trade, but he's not been confronted with this sort of situation, has he? And, and who would his advisors be? I mean, you know, your guess is, mm. is as good as mine. Um, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> After being so bowled over by Russian shopping trolleys, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and the underground. And the under- it yeah, is apparently. a beautiful underground system. No, no, right. no but, argument for me on that. But um, the Elizabeth line. You got the Elizabeth line in the UK. That's beautiful. <laughs> very fancy. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of the things that that we've been sort of batting around as as a point of discussion in, here at the FT is you know around NATO and around military spending and you know the 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 sort of the vibe there if you like is look he may be bluffing 
about, you know, the necessity for other countries to raise their military spending or, you know, suffer seeing him, you know, move out of NATO. But he might not be bluffing. He might be serious. And either way, there is an imperative to spend more on defence. And this is this is becoming kind of more kind of conventional wisdom, particularly across Europe. Now, where is that money going to come from to fund massive amounts of defence spending? Ultimately, it's going to have to come from the international bond markets. And there you get back again to the issue that I was talking about earlier, which is this, you, you do get these moments of nerves in the bond market that, oh, you know, who's going to buy all the debt? At the moment, everyone's going to buy all the debt. Everyone is just snapping up this debt while they can because they think that interest rates are going to fall and they want to lock in those lovely juicy yields while they're still available. But I can very easily imagine over the next 12 months, a resurgence of these worries around who's going to buy the debt debt, and at, at what price. And so then you get much higher bond yields. And then again, that undercuts and undermines risk assets. So it really is a very, you know, you, you look at kind of the screens for where we are so far this year and there's lots of green around and everything looks happy and stocks are up and la la la. But I just don't think anyone should forget how quickly these things can unravel. And, you know, the market has been repeatedly wrong about the rates outlook globally and about global growth and about geopolitics. It's enough to make me nervous. Anyway. Yeah. And look, he's a wheeler and dealer, isn't he? Yeah. So you can, you can, you know, you put yourself in his shoes and try and adapt his mentality and you'd be thinking, well, okay, so there's a lot of unrest in the world. If I can just make it seem a little less secure, so everyone is very nervous. Uh, and so they up their spending. I'm going to say I'm going to reduce my spending. But by the way, we've got a big industry here, big defense industry here. Uh, and I'll cut you some slack if you buy from us. I mean, that's what a man like Trump would do. So less American spending on defense, but more American products being bought by the Europeans, for example, uh, with uh, with government debt, as you say, being funded through the through the bond markets, mm. which helps obviously uh, American imports, uh, exports, I should say. You could see that would be his tack. And certainly if he's listening to this podcast, he'll be going, that's a fantastic idea. I'm Thanks, sure Phil. he is. He's very keen interest in the intricacies of uh, global mm, finance. Global finance yeah. markets, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so look, where are we then? Uh, it's a risk that has not been factored in yet. Is that what we're saying? It, it's not quite being factored in yet um, because for now, doing nothing does make a lot of sense. You know, until we do have more clarity around whether he's the candidate, whether you know, whether it really is Trump-Biden for for the election race later this year. We honestly don't know who the candidates are going to be. Um, and we don't really know what his convictions are around, uh, around foreign policy, around geopolitics. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily uh, a silly thing to do for investors now just to say we, we need a little bit more time to, to assess this. But yeah, my hunch would be that the the real pinch points in markets, if he were to come back in, are dollar and treasuries rather than stocks. But what do I know? What do we? What do any of us know? I mean, but I mean, it does seem don't have a crystal ball, I'm afraid. But, uh, <laughs> but, but it yeah. seems seems like you are saying there'll be a bit more of a tilt back to Europe, though, perhaps as a result. Potentially, yeah. And I, there was um, a little poll that I noticed on one of the banks research that came through the other day, which was, you know, if Trump came uh, got to power, what would your trade be? Would it be uh, long S&P? Would it be short China? Would it be short Ukrainian sovereign debt, which is a particularly grim one? Um, there was a few others in there. And if I remember rightly, the, the number one choice from respondents was long S&P. Wait, so, just like the share market. 
you know, I, I think probably his kind of corporate tax policy would override the geopolitical element for that particular asset class. Um, and look, you know, the market's been wrong about this before. It assumed the first time Trump got in, there was this assumption that this is going to be terrible for stocks. This is going to be terrible for the US, you know, standing in the world. It was fine. It was a lot of drama. It was a lot of heat and bluster, but markets were broadly fine. There was a lot of back and forth with China over trade policy that, you know, created some disruption. But, um, you know, again, it's important to remember that a lot of the bluster over China is bipartisan. You know, it, it's not as if if Biden gets in, then there's this sort of rosy relationship with, with China. Although he's, talk, he's talking 55% tariffs, though, isn't he? He is. He, he wants to take it to the next he level. He is, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are some corporate leaders in the States that can have a quiet word in his ear and explain how damaging that would be to corporate America. Um, so whether he would really stick to that number, it's slightly hard to imagine. It's plausible. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, the, you know, again, the, the whole China trade relationship would come under a lot of scrutiny if he were to come back in. And, and but, but the fact that it is bipartisan, the fact that there is kind of, you know, widespread worry about uh, Chinese stock market, even, even beyond just the geopolitics, um, means that I'm, I'm not totally convinced that he would be a short-term driver of large moves. Good to talk, as always. Look, as you say, so many unknowns. I mean, the the poll I'm seeing, Trump is on 46% of the vote. Biden is on 43%. I mean, that's also the question, you know, if Biden does win, what changes then as well? Because he's 81, which actually isn't that old. I mean, but he looks older. My mum is actually looks less frail and she's just turned 90. Uh, But, but, you know, it's how how, what is are we going to get a whole term of of Biden? You know, I mean, there's an element of uncertainty in that question as well. And and also what Trump supporters are going to do. They're going to go nuts if he doesn't win. Yeah, I. I, n- I never really wish I lived in the States and I particularly don't wish that I lived in the States at, at the moment. It's just, it must be exhausting, right? Just this incredibly fractious politics. You know, the UK and Australia, we have our moments, but it's nothing like the same scale. Um, so, but yeah, you know, obviously Biden is uh, an is an older candidate, but he at the very least surrounds himself with really good advisors. Um who so, are, by the law of averages, much younger than he is. So. <laughs> yes, he'd have to go out of his way to find some that were a lot <laughs> older. That would be a problem. Anyway, we'll leave it there. Good to talk, Kate. We'll catch you next time. Cool. She's fun, isn't she? Katie Martin from the FT on what happens if Trump becomes president and is the market preparing for it? Well, not much yet, it seems, but also maybe he won't do all the stuff that he's saying he will do now. Uh, This time next year, of course, we'll know he'll be in the Oval Office or he won't be. Now, next week, we'll look at the impacts of Australian tax policy with Kate Griffiths from the Grattan Institute. But we've got five more episodes of our morning call daily edition before that, starting early on Monday morning. So I'll see you then for that. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Thanks for listening. The Weekend Edition. 